Welcome to Feeling It, a podcast where we discuss TV, movies, pop culture, and whether or not we are feeling it. If this is your first time joining us, welcome to the show. And here we go. Come on, talk and talk. All right, here we go. You guys want to hear something neat? It's showtime! Hold your ears, folks. Here we go! See what you can do now. Take your position. All right, ladies, buckle up. Let's do this. Hold on to your butts. Seriously? Listen to me very, very carefully. Hey, it's me again. Eat him up. Enjoy. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Feeling It. Each week on this show, we like to share what pieces of pop culture we're really feeling, whatever show, movie, song, or tech, we just can't get out of our heads. In addition to those picks, this week we'll be discussing Spike Lee's new film, Da Five Bloods. But before we get started with all of that, let's introduce ourselves. And summer is here, so when we do, let's answer the question, what is your favorite beach read? I'm Lucas Wright, a designer in Chicago, and for a beach read, I love a good um, murder mystery. I love a good murder mystery just about any time, but specifically as a beach read, it's a great vacation um, kind of uh, distraction, I think. So for me, my favorite beach read is Nine Perfect Strangers. This is a, a Leanne Moriarty book. So she wrote the book Big Little Lies. Um, this is a, another kind of murder mystery book where nine strangers go to a, a secluded Australian retreat and uh, all the fun stuff that happens there. Very cool. Uh, I am Sandra Amstutz. I'm a social media manager in Nashville, Tennessee. And I love romance novels. It's pretty much the only type of book I read. I'm just now, like this summer, I have a lot of time on my hands, so I'm reading some other books as well. But typically, I stick to romance novels. Um, my favorite romance novel author is Jennifer Cruzy, and she doesn't really write that much anymore, or she doesn't have anything published lately, but she has this big stock of romance novels that she wrote in like the 90s and early 2000s. And my favorite one of hers is called Bet Me. And it's about a woman who is um, having bad luck with dating and a very charming guy and their two friend groups like interacting. And the guy is bet that he can't um, get this woman into bed in under a month. And she kind of knows about the bet and it's a and it's a romance novel of the two of them kind of resisting each other and falling for each other at the same time nice did i tell you that i read a romance novel for the first time by accident oh what did you read <laughs> i read a book called the bride test um, oh yes i'm about to start reading that yeah it's good i didn't know it was a romance novel it just got recommended and so i, I read i read it about halfway through i'm like this is a romance novel. <laughs> yeah. You should, if you liked it, you should read her other book, The Kiss Quotient. I've heard that's good. It's very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, you know, because I read yeah. so many romance novels, I have, there's some that I like know are bad, but they're fun to read anyway. Yeah. And then there are some that are like, oh, this is like all the like sex appeal that I want from a book like this. And it's also good writing. It's a, yeah, it's a good yeah. <laughs> story. And those are hard to find. And that's why I like Jennifer Cruzy so much is because it is hard to find. And she has like the perfect balance of sexiness, but humor and also character building and storytelling. Yeah. Nice. Um, all right, Lucas. Well, what are you feeling this week? Well, speaking of vacation books, um, Great. <laughs> this weekend I um, took a little trip to the woods and stayed in a cabin for the weekend, and I read a murder mystery. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, if you haven't heard of Bellwether Rhapsody by Kate Reculia, um, it's great. It's about a statewide high school music festival um, competition thing set in a, in a dilapidated old hotel 15 years after a murder-suicide happened in one of its rooms. Um, so this is also set in the 90s, um, and it's about kind of two twins who are about to go to college and just kind of them figuring out the next steps of their life as they're kind of going through this um, this murder mystery scenario <laughs> um, at, a, at, a music, at a music competition. So it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of um, very interesting characters. Um, if you like um, The Shining or The Westing Game, um, both of it kind of fits, merges kind of those two, two genres. The Westing Game is a kid's book. This is definitely not a kid's book. Um, but um, it, it has a lot of that, those vibes to it. In all these murder mystery books that you read, Lucas, what is like the main, is it like a person who knows the person who's murdered or is it a detective? Like, do you have a, a point of view that you tend to prefer 
in this genre? I usually prefer when there's not a detective. I okay. I love, I mean, obviously love Agatha Christie and all of the stuff that she does, which is usually centered around its detectives. But I think, I think where we succeed in the modern world is where it is just the people surrounding it. So whether it's a, you know, a closed off situation where the police can't get there and everybody else has to solve it, that kind of mm, stuff is always okay. a lot of fun. Cool, cool, cool. Um, well, that's great. And I would be very interested in hearing like other things you're reading this summer as like, yeah, we should definitely. start a, you know, a, a reading list yeah. somewhere. I'm doing a lot more reading and a lot less watching this summer. Do you, do you use good reads? I do use good reads. Yes. Okay. So I've that's, got my that's it. 2020 go. reading list there. <laughs> I have just gotten back into it. You know, I'm such a dedicated letterbox user mm-hmm. and now that I'm reading again, I'm like, oh, there is a whole platform just like this yep. for books. <laughs> it's great. I don't love the app as much as I do love Letterboxd. No, um, it's not great. It's and not. also, I haven't, because, you know, with Letterbox again, I use it so much, and I the people that I follow, I kind of know where their opinions lie, yes. right? So it's yes. like, oh, I know I can, that I align with this, or I can trust that, or he's extra harsh on movies, you know, things like mm-hmm. that. With Goodreads, I don't have that knowledge yet. So I read this book series that someone I follow on Goodreads had rated really high. And it they were some of the worst books I've ever read. <laughs> oh, my God. They were so bad. How many did you read? Well, I read two. Okay. Um, and <laughs> the first one was really bad. But then the second one I read just because, the, you know, in romance novels, a lot of times what they do is – side characters become the main characters of the yeah. next book you know and, and you, yeah. you you already kind of get a vibe for them and i knew this side character was going to be the main character of the next book and i did like that character and i thought oh well, maybe the next book is a little bit more fun because it's about this kind of character yeah um it it was not it was really <laughs> bad right i mean it was just really bad writing Ugh. um which you know that's the other thing with romance novels is Unless you know that author, it's really hard to know, like, how good the writing's going to be. Because some right. of it is bad. Right. But the premises are so fun, so you get caught up in, like, oh, what a fun premise, you yeah. know? Yeah. That makes anyway, sense. Yeah. Well, I'll be checking you out on Goodreads. Sounds good. Yeah. What are you um, feeling this week? Well, you know, this week we are going to be talking about Defy Bloods, Spike Lee's new movie. I just got to say, um, there is not a whiter way for you to say Oh, that. no, there isn't. <laughs> Truly not. I mean, if you, yeah, there is not. <laughs> but, yeah, can't help it. Um, anyway, Spike Lee, I was realizing as I was getting ready to watch the movie that I haven't seen many Spike Lee movies and how, like, what a shame that is. And mm-hmm. especially because he has so many movies, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so I started, like, going through his filmography and think, trying to figure out what I had seen and what stuff, like, should I prioritize seeing? And um, I was nervous about watching this new movie because it is a war movie and that's not really my genre. We'll talk about that more later in the episode. But I... I thought, like, let me watch a movie of Spikes that does seem to be, like, in my wheelhouse so that I can get a sense of him as a director in a genre that I appreciate. You know what I mean? So I watched his, I believe it's his 1986 movie, She's Gotta Have It, um, for the first time. And I really loved it. Have you seen yeah. She's Gotta Have It? I have. It's one okay. definitely one of my favorite of his. Yeah. It's so great. Um... I love movies that are mostly just talking and especially romantic couples just talking and especially talking about the nature of romance and sex and men and women. Um, So this was right up my alley. Um, One thing I wasn't prepared for going into this film is that I didn't know that Spike Lee was one of the actors in this movie. (laughs) And let me tell you, he was the best part of the movie. He's great. I he's a great actor. He's so good. Yeah. <laughs> I was, ch- he charmed the pants off of me. <laughs> that performance is so funny and so charming. And I would have watched a whole movie of just his character and Nola Darling. Like, I, the other two guys, every time they were on screen and they're on screen a lot, I was kind of like, oh, let's get back to Spike Lee. Like, he, <laughs> is the star of this film for me. Um, yeah, I really appreciated it. And all of his, like, style quirks, I think, work so well in, in She's Gotta Have It. And um, 
yeah, I, I had a blast watching it, and I and I highly recommend people check it out. Have you seen the the TV show remake of it at all? No, you know I haven't heard great things. Me either. <laughs> but I watched the trailer for it, you know, immediately after seeing the mm-hmm. film because I was so like enraptured by the film, and the trailer looks great, and it it makes me curious. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another thing that makes me oh. curious is that. The Spike Lee character Mars is played by Anthony Ramos from like Hamilton and A Star Is Born and um, mm-hmm. coming up of what's that movie called? Um, In the Heights. He's yeah. about to be the star of In the Heights. So the fact that that character that I like so much is played by this actor that I find so appealing also makes me want to check out the series. Yeah, we'll see if I yeah. get around to it. Well, cool. Yeah. Um. Okay. So before we move on to our main topic, we did want to discuss some film news that just came out this week. Um. The Oscars has announced. You know, they they've been announcing a few changes. Um. As they're trying to adapt to the pandemic that we're all living through. <laughs> um. Earlier on in the season, they announced that you know, streaming films were going to be allowed uh, under, like, the criteria of Oscar films for just this season only, that they were going to say, okay, normally you have to, you know, screen it um, your movie in theaters in L.A. and New York, but for this year they're going to be allowed streaming-only titles, which I was super on board with. Um, and then, I believe it was yesterday they announced that they are going to be pushing the Oscar ceremony from typically, you know, February or March to now April 25th. The eligibility period for the Oscars will be extended to February 28th, 2021. Um, Nominations will be announced March 15th, and the Oscars will be April 25th. So that's a pretty big change if you are a fan of the Oscars. Lucas, how did you respond to that news? Uh, Not... It's not great. <laughs> yeah. I I do love that um, we're not going to have to worry about trying to squeeze in a bunch of movies that uh, didn't actually come out <laughs> when they were supposed to have come out. And um, I feel like we always have that January slot where we're trying to find the movies that um, are eligible at the end of the year but aren't actually, you know, in wide, wide release and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and so they will be in wide release, but it kind of goes against the whole point of the Oscars, which is to celebrate uh, the movies that came out that year. And it, this kind of slides into Grammys territory where it's just kind of, we're just going to celebrate whatever we want now. And it, it, that feels less structured and um, yeah, less relevant, I think. <laughs> well, that's the thing that's always been so confusing about like the Emmys and the Grammys mm-hmm. is that it's like an actor will be nominated for a performance that happened like two months ago. And then another actor will be nominated for a performance that seemingly happened a year and a half ago. Right. And then another <laughs> actor who you think it's eligible that you just saw isn't eligible. And it's all very confusing. Whereas with the Oscars, I've always appreciated the clarity. It's like, mm-hmm. it's a, it's the calendar year. Yeah. You know, and, and I never, you know, here's the thing, Lucas, you say one of your frustrations is people who like screen a movie in like the last week of December. Right. And they yeah. count it towards the calendar year, even though it's not available across the country. Yeah. Um, that's still going to happen. That's still <laughs> going to like, that's, that's not going to prevent that from this. This is not going to change anything. Like people are still going to screen stuff in New York and LA if theaters are still operating the way they used to. Yeah. Um, the last week of February, because the whole point of that is to be fresh in the voters' minds. Yeah. And l- let's let me just you know say, obviously, in the grand scheme of things, that like to be frustrated about in the world, we obviously recognize that this is nothing. You know, like these are just <laughs> dumb rules for dumb ceremonies that don't matter. Um, but in that sphere of things that don't matter, you know, like this also kind of throws into askew the our like top ten of the year. You know, mm-hmm. that we that we like to make every year because yeah. now, you know, we're going to have if we stick to the calendar year, which I kind of want us to do, yep. um, then like movies that are going to be in our top 10 next year, probably uh, will have been nominated for Oscars the previous year. And it, it just kind of throws everything into disarray. Yeah. Does that make the next Oscar year shorter? Technically, are they going to, is the next Oscar year going to be from March to December or is it going to also be from March to February? Yeah. Um, like at some point someone's going to have to have a shorter year. Like, do we do it 
one month at a time is the you know like <laughs> is the year after that just March to January yeah. and then finally we get back on course. How does this course correct itself? I just feel like this is already a weird year. There's no yes. reason to pretend like it wasn't by like right. extending this time period to make sure we get movies in. Yeah, um, just celebrate the movies that we got. <laughs> that's a, we're not that's even halfway really... through the year yet. We who knows what else could come out? Like we're still there's no reason to do this. That's my big prominent feeling is that. Um, you know, this is a, a strange year, especially for the movie industry. I mean, for everything. But in the way that the movie industry operates, it's a very strange year. And I feel like the Oscars should reflect this point in history. So that when we look back on the 2020 Oscar race, uh, people will be like, oh, yeah, that was the year the pandemic started. And so, of course, you know, these were the movies, you know, they only had these movies to choose from. And, you know, it's a different type of Oscar field. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it it feels strange to push the Oscar race forward to allow for more movies when it's, you know, it would be different if the pandemic had started in, you know, December and everything's getting pushed because everything we're, we're figuring out what to do. Mm-hmm. And and it would also be different if they were if they were pushing the Oscars for health reasons. Like we don't want to have a ceremony right. where everyone gets in because we still don't know what the pandemic is going to be like. If that was the case, I would be more understanding. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, and all this to be said, you know, like I'm still not convinced that we're going to be in movie theaters this winter. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, I, I just, and it, it's also so funny for them to say, like, let's say, let's say hypothetically, we are in movie theaters this winter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and hypothetically, um, let's see, yeah, let's say we are in movie theaters, or even if we're not, let's say we're streaming everything, and the Oscars are going to be like, okay, we're just going to choose from everything that got streamed, right? Yeah. Most Oscar bait is released in the winter. So it can still be released. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I don't understand how, you know, the summer, all the movies that so far have gotten postponed, these summer blockbusters, mm-hmm. are not the kind of movies that the Academy normally nominates anyway. Yeah. So I don't understand why the push. Yeah. The only thing that I can, you know, wrap my head around is a lot of these summer movies are now going to be released in the fall and that's going to push the Oscar bait movies, but I'm interested to see what our fall movie season looks like. Um, in my dream world, the film industry would just like all gather around and say like, we're going to do streaming for everything at, for the rest of the year. And this is going <laughs> to be the year of streaming. But then I do, you know, obviously grieve the loss of the theater experience and, and what that would do to those businesses and buildings. Yeah. It's complicated, and I don't have any of the answers. It's what it all comes down to. <laughs> no, same. I yeah. I feel you. Um, okay, so are you ready to talk about our... Now, you know, Lucas, now I'm self-conscious <laughs> to say the movie title. Would you oh, say... Man. I'll you say, say the I'll movie say title if, if, I, if I say it so incorrectly. Yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Are you ready to talk about the latest Spike Lee joint, The Five Bloods? The Five Bloods. Just, I'm trying to. It's you gotta like say a, duh. You can't put too much emphasis on the uh, duh. on the duh. It's yeah, just, it's just the five bloods. The five bloods. Five okay, bloods. that that feels better. Am yeah, I yeah. Yeah. Great. <laughs> that i hadn't seen a lot of spike lee movies um how is spike lee like a director that you watch a lot or that you're very familiar with or or is this or or not yeah i'm i would say i'm very familiar with spike lee i don't love a lot of spike lee films yeah um but i really like him a lot i think i like i like that he's different with the way that he makes films he he doesn't he likes to focus on groups of people and so like making big ensemble movies at kind of a smaller scale um so i mean i i feel like she's got to have it is one of those where it's it's a very small scale like low stakes movie but truly is a real good ensemble movie same thing with do the right thing um and defy bloods which we'll talk about but i think where 
I kind of fall off a little bit more is some of his more um, specific movies like uh, Malcolm X, um, Jungle Fever. Um, I did like Black Klansman a lot. I thought that was really good. Um, But I think my favorite of his is like one of the few movies that he did as kind of just like a for hire job, um, which is uh, his heist movie. Um, Inside Man? Inside Man, yes. Which I feel like is the least Spike Lee movie <laughs> out of all of his movies, but it's it's definitely my favorite. I absolutely love that movie. Um, I got off topic. I forgot what I was going to no, say. That's okay. Um, you know, speaking of Black Klansman, so that might be the only Spike Lee movie I had seen before this. Um, oh wow! Yeah, I know. Like I, I, I really don't haven't seen his movies. Um, and I liked parts of Black Klansman and didn't like parts other parts of it. Mm-hmm. And so I was nervous going into it. And, and that was what prompted me to be like, oh, I, I really should, you know, watch up on his filmography because I can't judge a director off of just, like, one movie, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and obviously he has, like, a historic career for a reason. Um, so I was going into this movie very curious of what I would think of him and his style as a whole and not just this movie by itself, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I should say before we start this conversation also that I am very, very uneducated and just don't know a lot about the Vietnam war. Like that (laughs) is like a whole realm that I don't feel like I ever was taught about in school that I don't, my social circle doesn't really discuss. My parents never really talked about it. Um, I've never really gone and done, like, looked into... If you asked, if you were to ask me, like, why was the Vietnam War? I would say, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I know where it took place, and that's about it. <laughs> I know it was controversial, you know? Um, yeah. So that, it wasn't a full, like, education, because the movie doesn't really get into... It talks about the Vietnam War in a historical sense, but it doesn't really do the job of educating you about what the Vietnam War was about. Yeah. Um, and so that is something that it's like watching this movie maybe be like, be, oh, I need to go learn about this, obviously. Like, this is something that is a blind spot for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I wanted to put that disclaimer out just as we're talking about this, that like you're talking to someone who doesn't know about this topic very much. <laughs> no, I, I do think that's kind of a typical thing for, I mean, a public school education, at least. I'm probably private as well. I don't know. Um, yeah. But I feel like I was talking to my wife about it last night as well, and she um, was not interested in this movie, did not want to watch this movie. Yeah. And she kind of said the same thing. It's just like, I have no knowledge of the Vietnam War. Yeah. And which I think for me is surprising because growing up, that was a big thing that we talked about in my household. Um, we, I mean, I feel like a lot of people had family members in the Vietnam War, but um, it was just something that, was discussed and like one of the, one of the wars that was objectively bad from an American point of view, mm-hmm. as, as in like the Americans were the bad guys. <laughs> um, and so I think that's a, a, I think that's a huge reason why a lot of people just don't talk about it is because, because, <laughs> you know, it's, it's not an easy conversation like, you know, world war two or anything like that. Um, we really like to Americanize our wars and this was one where it's very difficult for us to, um, come out looking great. So, Yeah. Yeah. Um, so in addition to like not knowing a lot about the Vietnam War, <laughs> I also don't like your wife. Probably it sounds like I don't love war movies. Like that is not a genre of movie that I yeah, usually yeah. <laughs> participate in. Um, I make a few exceptions and this is one of them. Um, so I was very nervous going into this movie about, you know, what kind of war movie it was going to be like. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's a spoiler to talk about. The fact that Spike Lee uses a lot of, like, historical video and images right, as part yeah, of his style in this movie. Yeah. And so we can maybe yeah. kind of talk about some of the stuff that he uses um, without spoiling, like, the plot the point, plot points of the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just, just to give it the context, this movie is about four um, Vietnam veterans who go back to Vietnam in present day um, to find uh, and recover the, the remains of their... Um, fallen comrade and so it's it has a lot of historical context and flashbacks and stuff like that but the main plot of this is not about the vietnam war (laughs) but yes like one of the things spike lee does this (laughs) a lot of just using real life footage 
um, modern day footage, a lot of um, uh, past archival footage to really hammer home his point. I don't think Spike Lee has ever been considered a subtle filmmaker. <laughs> and I think I think this is very, like, very specific about, like, exactly what he's trying to say. He's going to show it as brutally and as specifically as he can, um, which I think is that's that's Spike Lee. And so once you get into the actual um, I mean, they're. Vietnam was also one of the probably the first war that we had real footage of and that we mm. could like that was televised and um, that people saw kind of what was going on, which is another reason people did not like the war. Once you like saw video footage of like what war looks like as opposed to just, you know, stories, um, it really changes people's perspective on 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 what's OK. Yeah. And so showing a lot of that footage for me, I mean, because he. Again, not a spoiler, but he starts it with just kind of some history um, archival footage of um, of the war. And that, to me, is just like, ugh, I don't like seeing that. <laughs> yeah. It is rough to watch. But it, it really does set you up for, okay, this is, this is what these guys lived through. And so you kind of have that introduction before you even get into meeting your, your, your main characters. So Yeah. Um, as we, we all look at it, I guess, get into like all of his stylistic choices and how we feel about them. But let's start by just saying, generally, how do you feel about this movie? Generally, I like this movie. I think okay. this movie is really, really unique and very exceptional. Um, I think there's so much about the, the things in this movie that I don't like, <laughs> um, that after watching it, I was like, that was a great movie that I never want to see again. And then later just thinking through like, there's some clips that I would love to see again from this movie. Um, but overall, I mean, kind of like, you, I like, I'm, I'm not in love with war movies. I don't love, um, uh, gory or violent movies and, um, and I, but I, I do think like the topic and the way this surrounded um, kind of the story, I think is very interesting in this movie. And a lot of the, I think the characters are so unique that you don't get to normally see in movies that um, I did feel like I kept coming back to it. How about you? Yeah, I think I feel kind of similarly to you in that this movie has so many highs that like are burned into my brain that I was yeah. blown away by just like, oh my goodness these performances, these shots, these, you know, storytelling techniques are, are so amazing. But as a whole, I, I did not like this movie. And, and a lot of that is because I think there's a lot about the stylistic choices that Spike Lee makes in this film that are just Mm -hmm. not my cup of tea. Um, when it comes to like the way you tell stories and make movies. Yeah. And, um, there were just so many times where I was like, what is he doing? Like, <laughs> why is this happening? Um, that It happened enough that I had to be like, okay, this is just not for me. Um, but amongst all of those moments where I was frustrated or confounded or disappointed, um, then there were these moments, like, you know, pun intended, of, like, gold to be found, of, like breathtaking performances and and imagery and um and mostly performances i think and obviously the performances are paired with the material um there's Mm -hmm. times where like his writing style like very much did not work for me and other times (laughs) where i was like this is genius and you know i see the genius of spike lee right now um and so it was a roller coaster in terms of my opinion of the movie, as well as the movie itself is a roller coaster of emotions yeah. and plot and chaos. Um, he does a lot in this movie and he's trying to make a lot of points about a lot of topics. Yeah. Which in general, I don't love when movies do. Sometimes I think the, cha- sometimes I love a chaotic movie and a <laughs> lot of times I'm just overwhelmed by them. Um, so this movie is definitely chaotic and um, it's chaos didn't quite like work for me all the time. Yeah. But it's, it's a movie that I'm super conflicted about and I will always prefer watching and talking about movies like this than movies that are just boring and bad, uh, you know, like, definitely, definitely. I think this, like, I think you're, you're totally right. He's trying to hammer home a bunch of themes in this movie. Yeah. Um, which I think is why the movie is two, two and a half hours. Then it don't, 
think it needs to be two and a half hours. Yeah. Um, but I think it's like, so this, this movie was originally written by two white guys about some white guys going back to Vietnam mm-hmm. and, um, Spike Lee got his hands on this script and rewrote it with his writing, writing partner to make it kind of this story. And I think this story is so much better and so much more interesting than, you know, four white guys go back to Vietnam. Well, um, I mean, obviously there's there's a lot of plot similarities to um, what's that other that movie that came out last year with Ben Affleck. I w- yes, absolutely. Um, uh, Triple Frontier. Triple Frontier. Yes. Like so much you know in terms of plot and like you know is very similar very similar <laughs> yeah yes um and i i had fun with triple frontier i didn't love that movie but i, did I had not loved that movie <laughs> I, I had some fun with it and i think a lot of the problems that i have with that movie i also have with the five bloods but yeah. i think just from a concept perspective this movie is much more interesting to me um than than triple frontier or the movie this could have been um because of the because of the rewrites that spike lee did i think i think he kind of brings a very interesting perspective to it um i am curious to see what got cut and what um what were what was changed in this in this movie over time because there's there's some other parts that we'll talk about in spoilers that things are obviously cg'd in after the fact (laughs) Mm, okay i'm interested Um, to hear you talk about that because i rarely ever notice those things lucas like CG yeah. things, I I don't. My brain doesn't isn't trained to capture them. You know, I I rarely do as well. This it was on camera for so long as the center of the frame, and okay. it, you can tell like that is not actually being shot right now. Okay, yeah, I, <laughs> this I was put on top. It. Got <laughs> so, it. So yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We'll talk about it. So. Um, why don't we call out some of our favorite aspects of the film performances and such before we get into spoilers? Yes. Obviously. Delroy Lindo, standout, yeah. amazing yeah. actor. So great to see him in this movie. He gives a tremendous performance, um, as well as Jonathan Majors. I love Jonathan mm-hmm. Majors um, yeah. in uh, what was he in? Uh, Last, Black, Last Black, Man. Black Man of San Francisco. Yeah, uh, he was also in Hostiles. He was great in that movie with Timothy. <laughs> I, I don't know why I said Timothy Chalamet is the first person in that movie. He's not Christian Bale. Okay, but and... because you say Timothy Chalamet, Chalamet, I know what movie I you're know. talking about. Like. <laughs> I would have known if you had it. Uh, but yeah, he's fantastic and ripped in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to second both of everything that you said about Delroy Lindo and Jonathan Majors. Um, like those performances make the movie for me. And especially whenever Delroy Lindo gets like a meaty monologue. Um, yeah. I'm a person who loves a monologue. And so <laughs> when like you have someone who's like performing at such a high level gets great material like that you know those moments i'm hooked into the movie Mm -hmm. those are the those are the moments in the movie where i'm like uh i see i understand the hype now i'm i'm in like you you've won me over um i also want to say that like while there's a lot of stylistic choices that spike lee spike lee makes that are not for me um one that i really do love is his sort of like educational meets educational documentary meets storytelling you know choices yeah the way he weaves in historical footage throughout the film i am a big fan of that um the way he sometimes like his characters speak unnaturally because they're talking about history and it's it's you know a way to introduce facets of Mm -hmm. history um i really like that um especially because I'm a pretty uneducated person when it comes to history. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, I need this context. Like, give me all <laughs> the context. Um, yeah. I think some scenes he does it better than others. There's one particular scene we'll talk about in spoilers that I think he does it so flawlessly and, like, with, it's so moving um, where I was like, this is where this style really pays off. Yeah. Um, and so the, cho- the choices he made around that um, – stylistically i really appreciate it there was some footage that i think we'll talk about that i was conflicted about him including um but his choice to like incorporate that throughout the film i really like definitely and then there's another stylistic choice that i adored that i probably should save to talk about in the spoilers <laughs> okay sounds yeah. good great okay yep. are you ready let's do it before we get started does anyone want to get out are you paying attention it's your last chance to walk away 
Let me tell you what's gonna happen. No, cracking gas. Spoilers. Remember, you wanted this. Okay, so just to pick up where we left off, the stylistic choice that I'm talking about that I thought was so genius was to have the actors playing the versions of them younger selves in the Vietnam War. Yes. I absolutely genius. loved that. I assumed Okay, when I saw this trailer, yeah. I never I don't know if that wasn't in the trailer. It wasn't. Okay, yeah. So cuz I just kind of assumed like they would use younger actors or right. something like that. And the first shot is when they're in the helicopter and with Chadwick Boseman. Yeah. And you see all the old guys there. And I was like, okay, this is weird. But what they're going to do is probably like transition them into the younger selves yeah. at some point in here. And they just don't. And it's, it's great. It works perfectly. <laughs> it's really fantastic. I, you know, the trailer doesn't show that. And I saw, I saw a quote from Spike Lee, like on Twitter, about comparing this movie to the Irishman mm -hmm. and him saying we didn't use he's like you're not gonna see any like de-aging in my movie yeah and I just interpreted that as like you said you know oh he's he's not gonna waste money on de-aging he's just gonna use younger actors <laughs> yeah. like he's, yeah. he's he, he like I interpreted that quote as just bre breezing by it on Twitter of course as yeah. just kind of him being like what a waste of money to like de-age older actors right I can just oh, swap them out. <laughs> right, exactly. And instead, I think it's such a brilliant way to show, you know, I once, to sum this up, I once saw a quote that I'm sure a lot of people have seen about how um, when you are 30 years old, you're not just 30 years old. You're also 25 and you're also 18 and you're also 10. Like, because you have lived all these years, like, inside you resides a 10-year-old and a 15-year-old and a 26-year-old, you know? And so as you age, you have all these multitudes of personhood. Mm -hmm. And I thought that this was, like, such a great way to illustrate that, that to have these, like, older men, like, these... 20 something year old men still live within them and when they're revisiting these memories they're not picturing their 20 year old self they're picturing themselves mm -hmm. like I, when i think of myself as a 15 year old i don't think of like my 15 year old face yeah or my 15 year old body i just think of myself yeah and that like these men think of themselves that way when they look back on these memories and i think that's so helpful for the audience too to help us connect them to mm -hmm. what who they were and what they did um, yeah specifically i mean specifically like delroy he like watching him where we are in spoilers okay yes. <laughs> yeah watching him as you know his 70 year old self or whatever kill chadwick boseman yeah and then immediately you see him crying about that as you know as his 70 year old self as an adult in real in real time that like you you feel that and you really connect with that. Right. Whereas if it were a different actor, there would be some disassociation for us as right. the audience. It would, um, there, it would feel false. It would feel yeah. like, Oh, I'm watching a seven year old actor cry about this like memory that he's supposed to be thinking of versus yeah. I'm watching a person cry about an action they committed. Yes. Yeah. So I, at first when they first landed and were like getting out of the chopper and um, you know, and, I was like, this is a little stilted because they are definitely old men yeah. <laughs> like, running around a jungle, which is especially like Isaiah Willock Jr. is just he's, he's a bigger guy and he's yeah. old. He's it's like it's difficult <laughs> to picture him uh, fighting in Vietnam. Yeah. Um, but I think that very quickly kind of falls away and, right. and you for you, that that doesn't matter anymore as you get more connected with these characters. Well, and, and they don't do that many flashbacks. Like true. it's not. And it also helps. That, like, Spike Lee is choosing not to portray a lot of this movie. I would say this movie doesn't feel, quote-unquote, realistic. Like, yeah, there's not no. a realism to most of the scenes. And so this, especially the, quote-unquote, war scenes. Like, they are being portrayed as sort of, um, it's almost, like, satirical the way that they are. Like, these rah-rah-rah movie amazing score mm -hmm. glamorous like heroic war film footage you know yeah and yeah. so because he's like putting on that tone 
then we, we don't need the realism of young men. We, you know, the, the fact that they're older blends in more nicely because it doesn't, yeah. we, we're already like, you know, shedding, um, what's the term when you're, when you're choosing not to like, you're understanding that it's not real. Um, oh, there's a phrase for that. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, so that, that helps. Um, if, if he was shooting this like, like pure, like, like this is an actual like war footage, then their, their age would stand out so much more. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, brilliant choice. Like again, one of those things where as soon as it happens, I was like, oh, this is clever. And then as it keeps going, you're like, oh no, this was necessary. Like I can't imagine this movie any other way. Also, I just want to say about those scenes Chadwick Boseman is obviously, like, a great actor that we're a fan of. <laughs> yeah, And he's yeah. really good in this movie. And I really appreciate, like, how much he does with how little screen time he has. Mm-hmm. And how, like, convincing the chemistry was with him and all these older actors playing yes. brothers. Yeah. 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 I, I heard um, in some interview that they only had two weeks with Chadwick Boseman and they shot all of, all of the stuff that they shot with him, all the flashback stuff they shot on like 16 millimeter film. Mm -hmm. And so they shot it all, had no idea if they got it all, but he just had to leave. And it was just like, well, we'll use what we have. (laughs) Oh God! So they didn't like, they didn't develop it because they were just out in the jungle shooting. And so they they did, they didn't get to see any of it till they were already out of Chadwick Boseman time. (laughs) Right. Which is uh, crazy, but yeah. it it all worked. So, <laughs> well, I mean, I think every one of those scenes works. Like, mm-hmm. I don't have a single frustration with any one of those scenes. So, yeah. yeah. In yeah. fact, there's a part of me that kind of just wishes that this movie was a little bit more focused, and that this was just a war movie about men revisiting their time, and like we have flashbacks of them just living their like daily lives um, and then flashbacks of them, like these actors living out those memories with Chadwick Boseman's character, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I think if that was, if the film was just that, I would have like been like, Oh, what a, what a beautiful moving story, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, what else should we move on to next there? I really want to know before I forget what CGI element you're talking about. (laughs) Um, so the 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 Make America Great Again hat at the end. Oh, I see. Um, when uh, what's his face takes it off and tosses it. The French on guy, or the, who? yeah, when the French guy. Okay. I keep wanting to De call Roche. him De Roche. De Roche. Okay. Um, like yeah, when he tosses it on Clark Peter's chest. Okay. Um, after after he shoots him, um, that is. It looks CG. It looks like they just I see kind of photoshopped the hat onto his chest. Got it. Because <laughs> then there's a shot later where. Um, he has put his hand up over the, his like bullet wound, but the hat is still resting on top of his arm as if he like slid it under the hat to get it. it. (laughs) It's just, it's just like, yeah, if you like, if you go back and watch that scene, that is like a, an imposed image on top, which is interesting. I'm I'm curious what, cause the shot of him, you know, taking the hat off and like tossing it down is a real shot, but I'm just curious why he wanted that so prominently in the yeah <laughs> in the frame at that at that moment but, sure so that to me that was that part was a little distracting but gotcha um in general though i think that hat um is an interesting concept in this movie that yeah I really that i really enjoyed i think at the beginning when uh they're they're all sitting down for a drink and paul mentioned something about you know voting for Trump and building the wall kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. I assumed I was like, okay, this is like one of those jokes that like they'll say, and then they'll move on to get to the rest of the movie. But Spike Lee's got to put it in here. Cause he's got to get it, you know, a day right. in. Um, right. And that is such a deep part of this guy's character. Yeah. And I really love kind of that aspect of this man who has been disenfranchised and been betrayed at every turn this is who he turns to <laughs> like, yeah. like this is that person. And there are people like this and it's sure. so interesting to get, um, kind of Spike Lee's take on, on, on what happens to a guy like this and, 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 you know, what happens with his life. And when you get back from Vietnam and, um, you have nothing and you continue to get things taken away from you, what does, what that does to your, to your psyche. Yeah. So what anger, especially yeah. like yep. can do. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, yeah, and how, like, not just was it only, like, a part of his character, but then it also became, like, kind of this, like, it, it worked itself into the plot several times, you know, yeah. with the the French people that they meet, and mm-hmm. then with the Vietnamese people who are, like, you know, attacking them at the end, yeah. and then with the French guy, and um, the, the the plot of him, of Trump, like, it bleeds into so much of this movie in ways that, like, I didn't, yeah, I, yeah. I had no expectation yeah. for. Um, Which was really interesting. <laughs> yeah, totally. So interesting. Totally. Um, you know, I saw someone tweet, the, they they were predicting that in the future, if not already, that the Trump red hat is going to, like, be looked upon as, like, similarly to, like, the Confederate flag and, like, the... um swastika you know as like this icon of hate Mm -hmm. um and so if you think that that is the case it's interesting to have that as like a a very iconic image in your film you know what i mean to have it be part of the plot and be so focused on like you said like they purposely cgi'd it into like a frame for meaning um I'm interested what that will feel like in 20 years, you know, mm-hmm. 50 years. Yeah. 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 Um, to, to watch this film and how it will be received then, you know, it, it, I just, I think about like these images of hate that are like to the point of like slurs that we don't say, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, and how they're used in art, um, for like how, you know, ki- kids might be participating in the sound of music and their swastikas and, and like how I don't have any answers or like real thoughts. It's just things that (laughs) I'm just thinking about in general, like these images of these symbols and how they're used to represent hate and how like people will see them again. And I I'm very fascinated and curious to know how they'll be received. Yeah. Yeah. Down throughout history. Um, Mm -hmm. I kind of want to bring up some of the things about this film that I found frustrating. Um, because to just kind of un- so people can understand why in the beginning I was like this film did- it was not for me even though I yeah. said about it, a lot of things that I liked um there were so many scenes in which the writing felt so stilted or like the humor just didn't land for me at all and the and and I kept thinking like how is this even in this movie you know what I mean mm-hmm. like this particularly like the one that I'm coming the stands out in my mind is like the first scene where the character Otis goes to meet, um, uh, the woman that he like knew yeah. and, and yeah. he finds out that he has a daughter. That whole sequence felt <laughs> very like not awkward, like for the characters, like awkward for me. Like I don't understand <laughs> why the dialogue's being used here. The re the, t- the pacing is slow. Like the yeah. reactions feel forced and fake and unnatural and um i don't know what did you think about that scene did did you did you respond that way at all or i did i felt the same way about it i'm just like there's no reason this should be playing out like this no (laughs) um this is one it's taking too long like we we get it like you can you can speed this up but i think that just it does come back to the to the part about he is not a subtle filmmaker and does not like to move quickly and so places like that um the the conversation that they're having before um what's his name steps on the land landmine where he's like slowly backing up and like you you know what's happening like yeah. you know you know what's going to happen and it takes so long for it to happen and they have a side conversation about him continuing to back up yeah. and like how he's walking and everything like that and it's just like there are parts like that where it's just like you can get to it you can right. just kind of move through this for right. us, man. Um, and I think those are kind of the things about Spike Lee that I'm just like, this is why I don't love all of his movies, um, because they kind of take me out of it a little bit at those points. Right. Um, but it doesn't, it's not enough to make me, I think, dislike the movie, but it is something that I'm like, yeah, did not have to be two and a half hours. You could have really paced this up a little bit sure. and, and gotten through a lot of this quickly. And you know, I don't mind long movies because if the movie's good, I want to sit in it, you know, yeah. like for as long as I can. But it's, it's those pacing moments where I'm like, how am I the audience member? I, I get it. Like, I don't need you to, like, this is, you know, painful to watch because yeah. I've, I'm already, I'm already there, you know? Yeah. Um, 
And I just felt like there was a lot of, there was enough of those scenes like that that made me frustrated with the film. Um, there was also, like we talked about earlier, like so many topics he wanted to touch on. Um, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> and for, for one movie, sometimes I'm just like, you got to pick, you got to edit, you got to pick what you want to talk about. Um, there was, I'm, you know, there was like the opioid cr- the crisis, PTSD, like there was, um, like, you know, interracial relationships. There was the storyline about, you know, Jonathan Major's character, David, his mother dying in childbirth. Mm-hmm. There was, um, you know, there was the Republican nature of it all. There was yeah. Trump. There was the Vietnam the White War. White guilt of the, yes. <laughs> of the French. <laughs> there was, you know, the death of Martin Luther King. And, and some of that is super relevant to this story. Mm-hmm. And some of it was like, I don't know. You didn't touch on it. You didn't focus on this enough for this to actually be included. I think the the opioid of it all was just like so thrown in there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And to the point where I'm like, okay, this is this feels this feels like someone on the day was like, what if we included this also? You know, <laughs> which I know it wasn't, but um, yeah. Yeah. So so that didn't work for me. Um, the la- another thing. This is picky, let me tell you. This is real <laughs> picky. But I, 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 I'm calling it out because when I, I'm a big believer in when things are distracting from the viewer, you're taking them out of your film. And that is detrimental to your film. You know, I was living in your world and then you did something that distracted me and took me out of it. And so those things should typically be avoided. Um, and one of those things is... The way he stylized his subtitles. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the way he like, does, like, the first letter of every word is capitalized. Yeah. Like, yeah. headline writing. I don't understand the point of that. So, the, that's how he talks. Like, when he tweets, I, that's how he tweets. I, and I, it's... <laughs> I get that. But... It annoyed me as well. <laughs> it, is there a purpose? And if there isn't, then you're just distracting me every yeah. time I see it. Yep. And you're Definitely. taking me out of your film. And if if there is a purpose, I'd like to know. But I didn't see what the purpose was. And mm-hmm. it just was frustrating to read and distracting. And I just, like, get so annoyed when stuff like that happens. Stuff that could, like... There are certain things that are going to distract an audience member and take them out that, like, are unavoidable. And so when there are things that are avoidable, I get annoyed. You know? Yeah. So yeah, that's definitely. super picky. And the, if that was the only thing I didn't like about this movie, I would just be like, huh, that's weird and not think about it. But, you know, there was like a sum of it was part of, you know, a total of things. Um, yeah. OK. The last thing I want to bring up that I'm, I would say I'm very conflicted about is the use of violence and visual the visual use of violence in this movie. Um, that's something generally one. I just don't like seeing movies with lots of violence. You know, that's yeah. not my bag. Um specifically in the beginning they use the these like historical photographs um that show a lot of terror and one in particular is like of an execution and you see the execution take place and i have a lot of conflicted feelings about using that in a movie a hundred percent agree yeah i have the exact same (laughs) i i i felt the exact same way because that that was that was a lot. And that, I mean, obviously yeah. that is a, a very famous photograph and video um, from the, you know, the time. And I think Pulitzer winner winning, yeah. you know, footage and everything like that. And it's obviously it's historical. Obviously, like it is one of the big things that came out of Vietnam is that footage. Um, but to have that in your movie interlaced with um, kind of the uh, more it's not cartoonish, but more like comical, like movie violence of um, kind of the rest of it feels so jarring to have those kind of intercut like that. (laughs) Like I am seeing real people die and real dead people and like real scarred people in these images alongside the, what we're calling like, you know, historic um, triumphant, (laughs) (laughs) you know, you know, footage. And that's, I, it's very hard to watch. Yeah. I just think generally, no matter what the medium, I think it's 
we should be incredibly careful about showing images of real murder and death, you know, whether Definitely. it's news, whether it's, you know, um, the internet, whether it's film, but so in general, I think that that's a tricky, tricky area because for our own human psyches, but I also understand the idea that like, if we don't see it, we can't like people can pretend it doesn't exist. Um, and so I understand that there is cases where it makes sense to show. And if this was a documentary about the Vietnam War and I saw that, I would still be like, I would still be upset by it. But the context would make more sense of mm -hmm. like, this is a documentary about showing lots of, of real footage and you know what you're signed up for. And, um, and this is, you know, in a historical context. To have images like that in a film that is educational and historical, but is also about entertainment. Like, this is, yeah. you know, Spike Lee is not making, a, you know, a pure documentary. He's making, he's making a movie with, with jokes, with glamorous scenes, with score and, and, and performances and monologues and all the things that movies do. And sometimes they educate, but a lot of, mo usually they entertain. And to include someone's, a real human life being ended in a movie like that doesn't mm -hmm. sit well yep. with me. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. I felt the same way about um, it. Did not love. <laughs> yeah. So in addition to just like that particular gruesome aspect, um, you know, there was a lot of like gruesome moments throughout this film that I think, again, we're just like, this isn't just like, this is just not the film for me. Like I'm not outraged that you included it, but I don't want to see it. Um, mm -hmm. I, I don't watch scary movies for a reason. And part of that is that, like, <laughs> I don't love sitting with tension for a whole film. Um, and with this movie, because they were in Vietnam, every single second in that jungle, I was ready for a mind to go off, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so no matter what the scene was, I was holding tension and that's a lot of tension to hold, you know, like. Totally. Like a, a, the majority of the film, you know, um, that and, and when a mine eventually does go off and we have like a very gruesome image of like a body being destroyed, yeah. um, I that visually I was like, this feels almost comical in a way I don't like. And also, I don't feel like the rest of the characters are like responding enough to it to the horror of it did you feel that way at all i did yeah, yeah. i think where it's like it's it's very difficult <laughs> like there was no one throwing up or like screaming yeah. or you know like <laughs> and yeah. to be fair i don't know how i would react to seeing a body get blown up so like maybe there is a level of shock that you know is accurate but yeah it felt strange all that to say that does lead up to one of the most, I think, amazing sequences in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Where, you know, as I mentioned earlier, where the use of history and historical footage woven in with the story being told currently was done so, like, poetically and was so moving. Um, the whole story about the track runner and and the college and, and how that tied into, you know, saving like david from that mine um that was my favorite sequence in the film yeah i love that and i love the that that is when he has the best connection with his kid is yeah in a, is in a moment like that yeah um but i do love i yeah i think what i what I, the things that i love about spike lee are that he is there a lot of the time what he's there to do is educate and he wants he wants people to know about um you know, about all of this, <laughs> this history and everything like that. And so sometimes it does rub, rub me the wrong way, but it, like yeah. with the, you know, historical violence. But um, I think overall, I really enjoy that specifically about Spike Lee, even though it does sometimes take away from the, um, the moment in, mm -hmm. in, a, in a movie. But that, that moment in particular, I felt like it really fit and oh, worked well. It was beautiful. Um, yeah. And like you mentioned something I hadn't even considered one of the reasons I connect to it so much is you saying that's like when he's connecting with his son and mm -hmm. how 
there's a lot about that particular father-son relationship in the movie that, like, I was fascinated by, but I don't understand. Like, not that I don't understand in the film, but, like, in my personal life, it's like, wow, I've never been a part of a relationship like that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And this moment where... There obviously, this is obviously a story that his son, his father, this father has told his son over and over again, you know, yeah. and this is something that they've bonded over. And, and this is probably the reason why this son went to this school and, you know, and, and you're seeing all that history laid out in a very short amount of time. Um, like that is a moment that I fully get, you know, like that is a moment that as a, not as a son, but as a child with a father, especially a father who likes sports and history, um, I, I, I feel that connection. I've been there, you know? Yeah. And, and probably a lot of us have with a lot of our, our fathers. And so I love, I, that's so, such a great way to illustrate the, the light and the beauty of that bond in a story where that bond is very toxic. Yeah. Can I say about his performance that like, it was kind of strange when it started. Did you feel like in the very beginning when his character was introduced, there was like this awkwardness to that character that like melted away throughout the film? Yes, absolutely. And I'm sure that that was probably on purpose in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, but I very much felt it. Yeah, I um, did too. I think there was probably some scenes that got cut. <laughs> yeah, um, not just, just like in his performance, but very much in his styling. Yeah. And, and and the way he was presented with, like, there's a scene where he's presented to the five, like, older men. And they're shooting him at, like, a down angle and all the men at, like, this upward angle, right? To make him seem so small when he's, like, not a small dude. Yeah. And I was, and he's I just, wearing, like, a button-up and, a, like, a short sleeve button-up and a he's tie wearing, he's and a hat. like, a polo, like, a button-up polo and, like, a, and a forward-facing cap that's, like... He he looks like very like nerdy in a way, right? Right, right. And All that falls away. <laughs> yeah, and it's I was just trying to figure out like what what he was trying to say about that character. I don't know. It was interesting, but I was I was yep. thrown by it. I agree. Yeah, I felt the same way about it. Another scene that I just like comes to mind is incredibly moving. Was and where Chadwick Boseman is really good is the scene where they find out about the assassination of MLK. Mm. And the use of the Vietnamese, um, like, radio, sto- like, yeah. propaganda. Mm-hmm. I, I thought, I, I love, stylistically, I love the way that that was all held. Like, and the way the radio story was, like, filmed and, and portrayed, I thought was really well done. And then, like, yeah, the scene playing out and the emotions of that group um, and the anger and the despair was really, yeah. really good. Yeah, I think that... They, I think I forget where they mentioned this in the movie, but just talking about Chadwick Boseman being uh, his character being like um, uh, they're Martin and they're Malcolm. Yeah. Um, and, and you just getting to see like his um, mostly like mostly angelic presence <laughs> as a memory for them. Yeah. Um, I think I think is really great. And just getting to see that speech specifically after the death of Martin Luther after the death of Martin Luther. Well, after the death of Martin Luther King, yeah, is it's incredible, and he's such a good actor right. <laughs> for how little screen time he has. He really does a great job, right? But it's a potent yeah. scene for sure. That reminded me of like the the other scene that I, I think that for me the the two most powerful scenes in the movie are the ones that the one that we talked about with you know them pulling off David off the line, landmine and mm-hmm. um and the you know the that scene and then the other one that really just like when i think about this movie i'm going to think about this scene is the forgiveness scene between jadwick boseman and yes and delroy lindo just yeah the of them embracing of him crying of chadwick boseman forgiving um hit me emotionally it hit me spiritually in a movie full of like violence and toxicity this it was like such a a ray of like beauty and love and light um i'm emotional just like thinking about it again but i that scene was like oh this is where this movie is like a masterpiece to me i think that scene the monologue um and the landmine 
pulling pulling David off the landmine. Those are three scenes that I will definitely go back and rewatch for sure. Totally, totally, and like all three of those are Delroy Lindo, just like yep, <laughs> like <laughs> just killing it, just killing it, like truly Oscar worthy like performances in those scenes. Um, yeah, so I'm really glad I watched this movie, even though I have a lot of conflicted feelings about it because mm-hmm. of, of those three scenes and, and of what I learned, like I, I did learn watching this and it will encourage me to learn more, you know, which yep. I'm sure is like the goal of a lot of Spike Lee's movies. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So way to go, Spike. Yes. Um, yeah, I, 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 I need to watch do the right thing now. Like that is my, ne- my next yeah. step of like, I'm trying to hit, you know, some of his, his biggest, you know, and most definitely. famous pieces yeah. first. Yeah. Do the right thing for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, Lucas, where can people find you online if they want to chat with you about books you're reading or movies you're watching? Yeah, you can find me on Letterboxd and Goodreads at Lucas and Stuff and also on Instagram uh, and Twitter at Lucas and Stuff as well. Great. And I'm on all of those social media platforms at Sandra Amstutz. My last name is spelled A-M-S-T-U-T-Z. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you. Bye now. Goodbye. Go away. I'll see you soon, okay? That's it. Go home. Yep. Move along, Padre. Goodbye, old friend. That's it. That's our show for tonight, people. 